Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, a podcast to help the church read, pray, and interpret sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm Chase Krause. And I'm Ryan Pollock. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Catholics with Bibles. Bum, bum, bum. Very, very exciting news, although... You know, we do have to start off today with a bit of sad news, I think. I think we should probably just get the just, cat out of the bag just here. break it. Just, get the cat out of the bag, yeah. throw it down the river, whatever you want to say. Yeah. So, um, I have officially put in my notice here to St. Teresa's um, Catholic Church and School, um, and this podcast is owned by, by St. Teresa's Catholic Church and School, <laughs> officially so, uh, which means I will only be officially on the show for the next two weeks. Sad day. Wah, wah, wah. All that yeah. money laundering finally caught up to you. That's they right. They finally found you out, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, exactly. So, But you're going to become a traveling King James Version Bible <laughs> salesman <laughs> like like uh, oh like they gosh. did in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That's exactly. what's happening. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> no. So um, you've probably mentioned, or you've probably heard on the show before uh, us mention this uh, software called Logos Verbum Bible Software. Um, and so, yeah, I've actually accepted a position with Verbum Bible Software, which is Logos's Catholic branch of Bible Software, um, to be an account executive with them to kind of help them break more into the Catholic market. So if you're listening to this and you work for a Catholic school, university, seminary. Hey, uh, commercial. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> let, let me know. Get in contact with me. Um, yeah, so essentially my, my, you know, my job will be to help because the, the software is brilliant. It helps you study scripture better. But in particularly for priests and deacons, um, there's a really awesome like sermon building platform on the software where um, it lets you really dive deep into the scripture and like help you like build a sermon based off the readings. So um, and so basically th- this software like it will help priests not only give better homilies and more like exegetically accurate homilies, but also it'll help them write them faster. You know. They're like a Joel Osteen package that you can download that just oh, transcribes man, all his right. sermons for all you. All of Joel. You know, Catholics probably don't know much about Joel, so you could get away with ripping him off for Dude, a while if, met, you, if you wanted to, I suppose. I've met more Catholics than I care to, no, to, to admit. Then they're, they're into him, really. And, and they say, oh, I didn't go to Mass, but I watched Joel this past Sunday. Um, you, bet, you best get to confession. That's then, right. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. in trouble. <laughs> yeah, so don't watch Joel. He's a heretic. Uh, uh, do you yeah. have to do like Mary Kay parties where you invite exactly, everybody over? <laughs> exactly what I'm doing. No, but it, it, it is a work from home gig, which is super exciting. That's um, and I get to go to things like Society of Biblical Literature Conference every year. Uh, they just um, secured a deal with the Oblate University in Rome. Um, so I'll be traveling to Rome like once a year. Oh, that's too um, red. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty dope. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's really, we did it cause it's a, it's a good move for the family. You know, um, it puts us in a position where I'm a home more with the family. Um, my wife doesn't have to work unless she wants to kind of thing. And so we can keep making those Catholic babies and send them to Catholic school. Yep. 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 That's Catholic school ain't cheap. No, it's not. Um, I guess a few things are few th- good things are cheap. That's right, and we want to we want to keep making the Catholic babies, which also isn't cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so figured to start off with that. But we got two weeks left. That's right, and I, and I might be like a guest on the show. I might pop in. Hey, you know, if, it, if this show's still going, 
dot 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 uh, dot we'll have you back we'll have you back That's any right. other time yeah, yeah yeah if you want the show to keep going email father larry and donate money to make it happen yeah no. make we, we it'd be good for us to know if anybody's actually listening to this thing, so. <laughs> well like our metrics tell us to download so we have a i've i've never i've never I've, seen the metrics. i've never shown you them You've that's never on, shown them that's on me. To me i have unlimited cosmic power of of the metrics <laughs> um but uh but yeah so with that this week we are going to continue our journey um through the New Testament. Yes, and the letter to the Galatians comes up today. Paul's St. Paul's angriest letter. Yeah, he's a he's a bit dramatic here. He, he uh, he's taking the gloves off or putting the gloves on uh, in, in this one. He's ready to box. He's, he's pulling ready, out he's, the gun. That's he, what he's, he's doing. <laughs> he, he's, he's loading his gun. That's right. In this one, but uh, of course, it's St. Paul that's uncontested. The date it depends on who you ask, but somewhere between forty five and fifty five A.D. is what I got. Yeah. So basically, the, how you date this is going to depend on. Um, where you put Paul's missionary journeys, right? So like there's two options. There's early dating, which could be as early as like 48 AD. Um, or there's, there's later dating, which means it couldn't have been, couldn't have happened before 50. And that basically that's contingent on, uh, which missionary journey we think Paul did, um, and formed the letters, uh, whether it's North Galatia or South Galatia. So I guess we should talk about where Galatia is. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Modern, modern day Turkey near Ankara. Yeah. So basically what happened is you had the Gauls, like Northern Europeans, they migrated to Turkey, Turkish area, and then it became an official Roman province, I think in like BC 15 or something like that. It was pretty recent. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was relatively Mm -hmm. new. Um, And so, yeah, so you have two options here. So Acts 13 and 14 is Paul's first missionary journey before Council of Jerusalem um, to Galatia, right? And then a second option is after the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. So mm-hmm. that's why it's it, it could have happened theoretically as early as 48 AD, um, but I think most people give it later dating, post-Jerusalem, just because of the verbiage. We might wish that the books of the Bible were in chronological order. That's, that's, what, that's what I might prefer, but if, yeah. unfortunately, I wasn't around to give that opinion when that's they were right. putting the books together. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, but let's dive into the content here, shall we? So let's do it. Uh, of, of note in chapter one, this is the greeting section where Paul says, hey, everybody, how you doing? Love you so much. I'm so proud of you. Nothing like that happens in the letter to the Not Galatians. At all. It's, Not at all. It's pretty well, funny. When, when you compare this section to like, you know, how he starts with First Thessalonians, right? First Thessalonians, he's warm and fuzzy. He's like, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Mm-hmm. Warm fuzzies, fuzzies, <laughs> fuzzies, fuzzies. And this one, he's like, hey, you know who I am? Hey, I'm sent from God, by the way. Um, just right off the bat. Just like right off the bat. I, I'm having to write this because y'all are forsaking the gospel. I yeah. ain't happy. You guys this one. suck. So I guess we should <laughs> talk about, I guess, potential theories as to how they got into the situation of the letter. What exactly he's mad. I mean, yeah. Okay. And yeah. The, and, the, and the people who might've started it, right. As okay. A bit of a background sure. to, so we, we've already said Galatia, modern day Turkey, it might be North Galatia, South Galatia. We just know it's addressed to the churches of Galatia. It's kind of broad statement. Um, so arguably what happened was Paul goes up, starts some churches, does his Pauline thing. Um, and then you have these, um, super apostoloi, he doesn't say that in this letter, but anyway, and the super apostles, um, the circumcision party, um, that we, and we've talked about this probably ad nauseum on the show, but well, this is where it really all comes to a head, doesn't it? Uh, this is where the, I think Paul is at, at his maddest about yeah, it and right. it, it finally kind of puts the issue to bed. If, if you're tired of right. us talking about this, this yeah, is the last read, one where read, we do it. Read Galatians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically we have the circumcision parties who after Paul left 
uh, invaded Paul's turf and was like, yo, you want to be real Christians? Snip, snip. Yeah, sure. Um, and, yep. uh, and also obey the ceremony, like the calendar law, essentially, right? So once again, they're trying to um, make these Christians Jews as well, right? Which for Paul is like, dude, we were just at the Council of Jerusalem. This has already been settled. Yeah. Go away. Yeah. And this is kind of the thrust of one twelve through 2.14, where Paul has to lay out a defense of his authority and just kind of remind them of who he is and what he's done. Right. Because these apostles who came in on his turf were kind of discrediting him and talking poorly about him, it seems like. Right. So, uh, and, and Paul uses the language, my gospel, right? So it's, in particularly, it's a, it's, it's a defense of Paul. He says, my gospel. And we don't want to get that confused with, like, he has a different gospel from like Peter or like the other just his particular rhetoric and approach. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, This is the one where he talks about his retreat into Arabia to go, to go by himself. So, which is why it's divinely inspired gospel according to Paul, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. this didn't come from no man. Yeah. So essentially we have to remember that Paul, after his road to Damascus incident where he literally got kicked off his horse um, uh, and then was blind. Right. He actually goes to the desert for three years. Right. Um, and so he, um, and so that at, during that time he's thinking, he's praying, he's meditating. Um, and it's only after that, that he goes and sees Peter, James and John, the pillars and says, Hey, this is what, like I got in prayer and meditation. Does that jive with what you guys are rocking? And they're like, yeah, dude, that's awesome. Yeah. So after 14 years, um, of work here. Uh, he, he goes to Jerusalem right. to meet with the other apostles, and they approve of his gospel without circumcision. They're, yeah. they're down with that. Oh, I said three years. I'm sorry, 14 uh, years, right? Well, no, he spends three years in Arabia, right, and right, then it's right. like 14 years total by the time he gets to Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, so a long time uh, concerned with the work of theology and mission and all that. Uh, and then 2, 11 through 14 talks about him calling out Peter for Peter's Yeah, so let's talk about that, I guess, huh? That's yeah. kind of important. I think this is confusing. No joke, the most extreme interpretation of this was that um two churches were started have you heard this interpretation nope um i was in barnes and nobles one time skimming through their crazy books um never buy christian books from barnes and nobles unless it's like (laughs) c.s lewis or something like that that's fine um but uh but yeah so like the craziest it was um the theory was and this is just me skimming this book but this dude basically said that um the catholic church was founded by peter and this was the incident where Paul started his own Pauline church. And that's, oh, and wow. that's the Protestant church. Yeah, okay, right on. Um, all right, okay. Yeah, if all you right. know anything about church history, that's just a load <laughs> of crap. But um, that's so funny. It's, it, people view this, this scene in that light, right? As in like Peter's Catholic and Paul's Protestant. Um, that is wild. Paul had the true gospel and Peter had the Catholic gospel. That's kind hilarious. Of thing. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, but anyway, we, uh, I guess let's talk about what <laughs> happened, I guess. And then we can kind of say why that's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, so Peter has been making friends with Gentiles. That is non-circumcised, non-Jewish believers in Jesus, eating with them, having fellowship with them, being buddies, going to church together, et cetera, et cetera. But then when the honchos come to town, when... Uh, Circumcision party. Yeah, yeah. When, when those like highly respected and advanced in, in the Jewish, probably Jewish fa- faith come Pharisees, around. Probably. Pharisees or yeah, something yeah. like that. All of a sudden, um, Peter... Uh, does something Peter's known for, which is ditching his <laughs> his, his buddies at the right. at the eleventh hour. Uh, no, I'm not friends with those guys. I don't know who they yeah, are. That's right. Come on, Peter. <laughs> We've been through this, bro. Yeah, didn't you learn your lesson on this already? <laughs> you can't just jump ship all the time, pal. Yeah, that's right. So Paul confronts him and says he's being a hypocrite. To and his then face. To his face. Opposes him to his face in front of everybody. Yep. And he uh, and he learns his lesson. He stops. He stops doing that. So, so I think something's kind of interesting. We don't get into like uh, moral interpretation too much. Um, but I always find this interesting. So um, 
because you know in Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you have a, if you have conflict with your brother, talk to him one on one. If that doesn't work, bring a couple of elders. If that doesn't work, bring it to the community. If that doesn't work, shun him essentially, yep, right? Yep. Um, and then you have Paul here kind of not doing that. He kind of just does it like out in the open. So hot take for you, Ryan. Hmm. Um, why is it morally licit for Paul to have done what he, he did? Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess my skeptical brain, the first one might go, uh, maybe he just never didn't know about the Sermon on the Mount. It's oh, quite maybe, possible yeah, he yeah, just yeah, never, yeah. never even heard that. Um, but may, at this point, he's, he spent some time with the, the apostles, right? He's, so he like, spends, It's quite possible that he's, yeah, that he's heard yeah, yeah, tale of it. Right. Uh, the Gospels were definitely written after this period. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. So there's that. But uh, maybe he did and it just wasn't recorded. Um, maybe he just doesn't tell that part of the tale. Or like whatever Peter did was just so egregious mm. in the eyes of the community that Paul thought, okay, we got to, like, yeah. this isn't just some regular schmo. This is Peter. This, this is, is the, the rock. This we is gotta, the Pope. Yeah, we yeah, got to, yeah. we got to own this guy in public. Yeah, that's kind of where I fall. I, I mean, basically how I've, what I've thought about this, and this is just like totally personal opinion, so take it or leave it. Um, you know, Peter sinned publicly and he was creating potential scandal, if not scandal. So Paul, knowing this, had to then rebuke it publicly in order to like uh, avoid scandal. Because mm-hmm. um, scandal had already occurred. Right. Um, yeah. In the non-technical sense. Right, like, right, right. Yeah, right yeah, not yeah, the yeah. mortal sense scandal. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, right, right. Everybody's offended. Yeah, scandal. exactly. So that's a, that's kind of how I've always viewed this. I But I'm, I'm sure there are Catholics who read this and say, see, this is why we should talk crap about the Pope. Like, hold on, okay. Oh, calm, interesting. Calm down. Oh, okay. Like, calm down. This, this is, is a proof text yeah, for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. right. And so I, I get really annoyed when, like, lay Catholics, like, think their opinion matters. Um, that might sound super harsh, but <laughs> at the end of the day, like, you know, if you're in a position of authority in the church or like to advise a bishop or a priest on how they should celebrate the liturgy or how they should dictate liturgy in their diocese, cool, like give your opinion then. Um, but if you're like a lay Catholic who has Instagram, like at the end uh, of the day, your opinion really doesn't matter I, that much. I guess there's a somewhat lucrative grift of just ripping on the Pope and the yeah, uh, conference yeah. of bishops all the time. Um, yeah. I won't name any names, but we know who we're talking That's about. That's right. Yeah. I won't, I won't be Pauline and name names, but, uh, but we, I guess it's important to know, I guess here, because this is a really weird letter for Paul. Um, insofar as he tells na- a lot of narrative stories, right? He doesn't other letters. There are some narrative like second Corinthians, right? We talked about last week and the, going up to heaven kind of thing. But we have to remember for Paul, he's, he, he's going to like present his thesis and then he's going to like back it up through narrative a lot in this letter. And this is just one of the, the first narrative, his defense of the gospel, his gospel. And it's so strong that he can even confront Peter about it. Yeah. So he confronts Peter about this and he basically says that justification, right standing before God comes through the works of the law. And by works of the law, we mean the Jewish identity markers. Mm-hmm. Then Jesus died for nothing. Uh, and then he pivots into a new section, which is um, what I'm calling righteousness comes through faith. A lot of your Bibles will probably divide that up in yeah, different lingo there. Justified by, right, by faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the question is really about, I think, what is the beginning of the Christian life? How does the Christian life start? Does it start with the keeping of the law, or does it start by believing in God, believing in Jesus? So Abraham is used as the example here of somebody who, before he did anything right or wrong necessarily, before he per- made any sort of moral progress, Progress in the life of faith. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So this yeah. is what Paul's going to bring up to his friends to be like, look, y'all, uh, the, the the whole point of this, the, the way you get into this covenant community is not by the works of the law. It's right. by believing in Jesus. Yeah. And we should, it's important to mention that um, Galatians in particular, you know, 2, 15 through 21, um, 
this is like Luther's, he literally calls it his, his lover, I think, or his spouse. Does he? Yeah. Luther literally calls Galatians his, his, his spouse or what his a, lover. What a wild, wild man. Yeah. So, uh, this section is really for Luther and for a lot of mainline Protestants, this is their proof text of like why Catholics are wrong. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, so for us Catholics, it's actually, I mean, I think next to Romans, Galatians is a letter like you have to know, right? If, especially if you're doing any kind of dialogue with, with non-Catholic Christians. Um, and and yeah. the easiest thing to get them to, to start thinking about this is just to ask, like, what does the works of the law mean? <laughs> right. And why are you so convinced that it means doing good or virtuous deeds? Like, there's right. no indication from the text itself that right. that's what it means. And it's important to know, like, too, like, Ryan and I talk about this, you've probably heard us talk about this before but anyway defining your terms right um so like talking about okay so what we have to do what does it mean to be justified to be right to be made righteous right like what does that mean what does paul mean when he says that right what does it mean to be made righteous um and so you know the way i kind of like wording it and ryan you can kind of throw in your two cents here for for paul and galatians about dying and rising with christ right okay well what does that mean is that metaphorical language is that sacramental language what is that um, but basically for Paul, it's about being restored into right covenant relationship with God. Right. Yeah. But once again, but there's a new covenant, right? We have the new covenant, right? So it's, it's, but then how is one restored into right covenant relationship with God? Right. That's, that's kind of the question we're trying to answer. Cause that's what it means. If that's what it means to be justified, right. It's, it's being made right covenant relationship, basically being made family with God again. Mm-hmm. Right. Or actually mm-hmm. for the first time in this way. Um, so yeah, basically, we, for me, I'm always going to go to the whole, it's transformative, it's participatory, it's all these things. Um, I don't know if you have two cents on and, that. Well, and Paul's point here is that even for those, uh, even for people who lived before Christ, it, it wasn't as if the old covenant was about doing X, Y, and Z in order to impress God and get to heaven. Mm-hmm. Like, even in the old covenant, Paul says, this was still about faith in God. Right. Um, Abraham's like the perfect example for him to make that case. Yeah, and faith has to be you know, justified by faith, right? What does that mean? Faith has to be expressed somehow, right? Um, I mean, Paul says that in a bunch of places, right? Because it's faith working itself out through love, right? Um, and the objective ground for this is Christ's expression of faith through the, his death on the cross, right? We have to, it, and this gets tricky when it comes to like Christology, right? Um, Christ doesn't have the theological virtue of faith, right? Because the, what is the theological virtue of faith? It's the belief in, in God, right? Christ doesn't have that. He doesn't need it because he sees God at all times because he is God, right? He sees the Father. He, he, he is God. So I, I've, I told that to somebody before, and they're like, what do you mean? Jesus had faith? I'm like, not the theological virtue of faith because even in heaven, we won't have the theological virtue of faith, right? We won't need sacraments or priests yeah, or right. church. The, the, or only, yeah. the only virtue you'll have in heaven is, is love, right? You won't have hope. You won't have faith. Because you don't need them, right? And, and and the presence of God is unmediated, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so the the objective grounds for this for for proving that faith must work itself out in some way is Christ's death on the cross, right? Because he still had human faith, not theological virtue of faith. He had he showed his faith and his trust of the Father and his goodness, and at, through his death on the cross, right? Because he knew he'd be raised again, right? Yeah. And, and, and on his death, we want to just uh, make this little point here before we get into this next section of chapter 3. But Paul will talk about those who are being cursed, who do not perverse, right. persevere in all things. Uh, cursed are, is anyone who hangs on a tree, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Again, contra Luther, what we don't mean here, and what Paul doesn't mean, 
is an idea of scapegoating, where mm. uh, Jesus took takes the punishment from God that like, we deserve. Like the father was angry way. and just beat the crap out of Jesus. I, like. Yeah, God, <laughs> God sort of is uh, a slave to his own anger. He has to punch somebody. He's right, just going right. to punch Jesus it instead is, it of is us. It is crazy like how many people hold that view, though. What's wild is that Luther himself knows that he's taking a, just a remarkable departure from the patristic consensus on this. And he's like, at the end of the day, I'm just right and they're wrong. It's, right. it's so wild yeah. how, he, how he makes that yeah. move. But uh, you can look at something as early as Justin Martyr's dialogue with Trifo, where uh, Justin says, no, by becoming a curse, it means like becoming... Um, the language of Isaiah 53 is helpful here. We considered him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Who considered Jesus that way? His countrymen. We did, right? Like right. we thought, oh, he must have been a blasphemer. He right. must have been equating himself with God in an illicit way. Look what happened to him. He was crucified. Uh, that's from the perspective of the people, right. not from God's perspective. Yeah, so um, my, my probably my favorite verse of all time is actually found here in Galatians 2.20. And this is kind of like, why participation participation and transformation I think has to be just because this this verse doesn't make sense otherwise, I guess. So it's, you know, 220, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God. Ooh, that's interesting theological. I don't know if I have time to get to it. Anyway, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what this is not saying is that you have you have been possessed by God and no longer have any personhood or agency. Right. Or and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of Protestant theologians who will say any good thing you do is all God and not you. Right. Right. right, um, right. And it's a very classic kind of like mainline Protestant view, but we say, no, no, no. It's obviously we, we we're, cru it's cruciformity, right? We've been crucified, crucified with Christ, right? We participate with him. He works in and through us. We in that and through that we are transformed. Grace, right? grace perfects nature. Yep, exactly. Got to just keep saying that um, one. And then he finishes. You know, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Yeah, three. So three fifteen through twenty one. What's the law for? It's to reign in transgressions. Yeah, people do bad stuff, but the promise came first. At the end of the day, three twenty two through twenty nine. The law was a babysitter. In right. a sense, it's no longer needed once people are in, endued with, with Christ's spirit. Yeah, we have to, we have to remember that um, the, the problem with the law uh, was that it couldn't help you do good. Sure. It was just there. Which is still the case. Right. In law today. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> that there is yeah. a, a stoplight does not make you, in any sense, stop at the stoplight. Right. Like, you have to have some sort of growth in virtue yeah. to help you realize And, and that's that. what's crazy about grace in the... In the in, you read the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, dude, how is this possible? It's like, well, by yourself, you can't do it. But the thing is, with grace, God will empower you to do it, right? Um, the Old Testament, there was no, there was grace in a, in one sense where God could give particular instances of help and of grace and of his presence. But it wasn't the spirit being poured out upon all flesh. Right. No, yeah. no, no. Whereas now we say through the sacrament of baptism, it's like, no, you, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the good. Right. To not only know the good, but to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what's crazy about the New Testament or New Covenant is created old. Should we talk about 328, neither Jew nor Greek, uh, just just for a second? Yeah, or yeah. Do you Let's think, do, do no, you think yeah. people care about that? No, I care about it. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, coming to the end here, and then this is, again, something said in the context of Jew-Gentile relations here. What's Paul's point? Is this point that it doesn't matter whether people are male or female or slave or free or this ethnicity or that? 
No, it's that in Christ, uh, we taking on this sort of cruciformity becomes our primary identity marker. It's not no longer about ultimately where you're from or what color you are or what gender you are. Right. Yeah, because that, that's the whole. Yeah, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's no male or and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So there's some libs who will interpret this in a funky way. <laughs> I come from a I come from a, a big Protestant denomination you may have heard of who's <laughs> who's quite content to say well look look how Saint Paul you know even mean Gosh. old bigoted Saint Paul is able to relativize gender why can't we do the same you know yeah no yes and you see this I mean especially I've seen this in a lot of Lutheran circles as well um, you know basically using this verse and similar verses like it to justify like same sex marriage. Sure. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and so what Ryan and I don't want to get into when we're not saying is that people with same sex attraction are sinful or evil or anything like that, that you, you can't control who you're attracted to. Yeah. Right. Yep. But you can control what you do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so um, what we're not saying is that someone with same sex attraction is automatically going to hell. They're an evil sinner. No. Um, or somebody struggling with their gender identity. Yeah, no, right. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, all of us are inclined um, in different ways uh, towards whatever the opposite of grace is. <laughs> right. Towards well, and, nothingness. And the fact right. of the matter is sexual immorality is sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. Hard stop. It applies yep. for heterosexual is the same as homosexual, right? So you can't talk about the gay agenda until you talk about the straight agenda. That's right. I mean, no fault, divorce and adultery. And right. Yeah. Know? If, if like <laughs> it, within the Catholic church, it's like, Oh, I do everything right. Oh, but I, you know, lived with my fiance while we were engaged. Yeah. Right. 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 It's like, okay, you're just, I'm not like those tax collectors. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, so it's, it's, I think it's a misstep to use this, this verse to justify, oh, therefore we can, we have sexual license because later on in the letter, Paul literally talks about how you don't, you don't have license to do all the evil things you want to do. Right? Should we, should we go over there? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So chapter four is all about Christian freedom. So we're not slaves in God's it's house. Like Hagar but, and Sarah. Yeah. And, but, but heirs of his promises and things like that. Right. Paul uses one interesting metaphor that I've never noticed before. He says, basically we've been friends for a long time, but I'm kind of like a, a mother trying to give birth to Christ amongst mm-hmm. you. I had mm-hmm. never noticed that before. Spend some time yeah. on that one. Yeah. But, uh, five's the exhortation. Um, and this is this is the interesting part. Um, Ryan and I were just talking about for the podcast because there are some like m- more recent scholars who it's kind of a hard shift, right? Between all of a sudden he's talking about the law and freedom, and then all of a sudden he shifts to like morality, yeah. right? Um, which totally makes sense if you know the law empowers you to do the good and the works aren't just ceremonial laws. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, it's uh, so yeah, he, he shifts um, to to this moral exhortation, right? Yeah. Which is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the works of the law are, of course, not a reference to all good behavior that Christians do, right? So that's what the reason why that shift is not jarring, if you just right. understand how that happens. But uh, he tells the circumcision gang to go castrate themselves if they like. <laughs> Paul's mad. <laughs> Paul's upset in this letter. He's, uh, he's not mincing any words. That's right. Uh, listen to the Spirit ultimately because it leads us into virtue and away from vice. And then chapter 6 is about the communal law of the yeah. church. And just so we, we can once again prove our point that um, Paul is not giving license to do whatever you want, 519. Yeah. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Literally the first one, sexual immorality. Right. Of any kind, right? Yeah, sure. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It basically covers 
almost everything. Mm-hmm. If you're envious, you're just as much of a sinner as somebody who does orgies. Yeah. Heads up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And only Jesus's spirit now, Paul is saying, gives us ultimately the power to uh, obey these kinds of right. mo- moral laws that aren't specific to the Jewish people, but are written on the hearts of all. Mm. So Jesus's spirit kind of, uh, I was looking for a good metaphor for this. I'm not sure if I have one, but it kind of like expands the horizons of what faithfulness looks like. It's a new sure. model for what faithfulness looks like. Right. So it's at once more generic in that it can be uh, like, love your neighbor. I mean, come on, that's a pretty generic command, but, but it can be implied, uh, applied in so many different situations, good, true, and beautiful. Um, and it's faith working through love, being led by the Spirit and fulfilling what is the law of Christ. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where when you just read the letter too, if you're confused about works, 6, 4, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Right? So instantly we'd have this other sense of work as in like, not just, you know, it's, it, that's the sense of like, it's not just ceremonial law. In that sense, contextually, we can see, okay, so like he is talking about work in general, like something you do. But once again, it, it, it's very specific to the context of that verse, right? Test, test your own works. Test your own works. If you, but it also, it can also be seen as like, he's also still talking about ceremonial law. Like yeah, te- sure. test, test what you, how good you do ceremonial law. And then what you're going to, and this, you'll have a reason to boast. You snipped yourself. Cool. Boast about that, I guess. Go for it. What's, what's it going to do for you at the end of the day? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, here's a, as we close up here, here's one modern analogy that I thought of. Let me know what you think about it. Um, for the whole righteousness versus works of the law business here. So if you fall into sin and you're in line for confession, um, you may have found, Chase, you might have found yourself in this situation before. I don't know. Maybe. But if you, uh, if your default is, th- is to think, you know, I'm just a miserable wretch here mm. in this line. I'm just, I'm just the worst person who's ever lived. I've definitely confessed all these things before. What am I still doing here, et cetera, et cetera. I guess you could think that, but if that's already your default, you might consider meditating something on something like what Paul says to the Galatians. You're justified ultimately by your faith in Christ and not your sinlessness because you're not a sinless person. Right. And moreover, God in the sacrament of confession has provided a clear means for you to restore relationship with That's right. I think a very succinct way to say it. Um, so Ralph Martin has a good, good book called um, fulfillment, so fulfillment of All Desire. It's kind of a spiritual theology book. It's not necessarily biblical theology, but he starts off talking, talking about all this. And really, what does he say? It's faith. It's the primacy of faith through grace, right? So as Catholics, we believe in the primacy of faith through grace, right? So it's, we, 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 we consent to the fact that, yeah, Grace is a gift. Faith is a gift from God. You can't earn it. You can't work for it, right? Um, but just because it's the prime, it's because it has primacy doesn't mean it doesn't in, invite us to respond. Yeah, one really cool thing that I've heard Bishop Barron say before is that he says, uh, if all Luther had done was to say sola, grat- sola gratia, um, mm-hmm. uh, or no, sorry, prima gratia, yeah, grace right, right. first, yeah. instead of sola gratia, there might be a order of Lutherans in the um, in the Catholic Church today, you know, right. because of course God's grace, God's always reaching out to us before we're even cognizant of it. Of course that's true, um, but it's not by grace alone. Eventually right. we have to say, okay, yes, God, I'm in the covenant now. I'll get baptized. I'll go to confession. I'll, I'll join you on this journey called life in some shape or fashion. Right. You got a, any further reading recommendations for so, our gang here? Yeah, so there's, oh, there's a lot, um, but just to specify one, um, anything by Michael Gorman. He's actually uh, an Episcopalian. Uh, no, sorry, uh, Methodist? 
Methodist. He's actually, I think, official domination Methodist, but he teaches at a Catholic seminary. Um, we'll get him eventually. Soteriolo- soteriology, uh, he's a Pauline scholar. His soteriology is 99% Catholic, right? Um, the only part he doesn't jive with is Paul's section talking about the Eucharist, but obviously he's a Methodist, so he's not going to agree with us on that. Sure. Um, but yeah, so uh, specifically the Apostle of the Crucified Lord um, by Michael Gorman. Um, man, you can't go wrong with that book. Mm-hmm. It's a gem. I've got one for y'all by David De Silva. David De Silva has the New International Commentary on the New Testament. Uh, his entry in the, in that series is the one on Galatians. It's, it's just called Galatians by De Silva. He has a great, great little commentary there. So check yeah. it out. Anything by by Barclay. He's pretty bomb. Barclay. The book's sitting on my desk right now. But uh, this is but this is not Berkeley. This is Barclay. Barclay. Yes. Yeah. B a r l c no Barclay. B a r c l a y. Um, Barclay. Um, anyway, anything by him is gonna be gold. I think um, I've met more dogs than people named Barclay. That's fair. <laughs> uh, well, cool. So next week, last rodeo. What's uh, Galatians? Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians comes. General next. General Electric Power Company. That's how I remember That's it. how you remember. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Oh, General, General Electric Power Company. There you go. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to memorize the order of the books in the New Testament. That's that, The acronym always helped me. <laughs> I, I, have, I have a song for the books of the New Testament that oh, no uh, I will not sing. Oh, come on. No. Maybe, <laughs> maybe next week. We'll, next we'll time on Catholic yeah. Bible. All right. Well, um, we'll see you next time, y'all, on Catholic Bibles. Peace. Adios. All right, everybody. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you again for listening to Catholics with Bibles. Hope you enjoyed this episode on Galatians. Next time, we'll be diving into Ephesians. As always, share us with your friends, your family. Talk us up. If you're Catholic famous, post about us on your blog or Instagram or something. I don't know if you are or not, but if you are, do it. Cool. Adios, guys. See you next time.